Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much for listening to last week's episode. We love seeing all the downloads and plays. It is once again so amazing to see all of the support and love. So, um, just a heads up, guys. I'm going to do my best in editing, but we've got both of our dogs with us today. And it's a little hot here, so <laughs> I, I'm going to do my best. But if there is dog in the background, please try to just ignore that. Tone it out. <laughs> this might be a normal thing. So We'll see, yes. <laughs> you know, dog's oh. life. Yes, dog mama. <laughs> Okay, so what is your why? That's right. We are at episode 25. Which How is fucking crazy. Right. It's been 25 weeks. Uh-huh. And it's wild. I honestly can't believe it. Like, 25 weeks have passed and we started this and we've already gotten to why. Right? Um. So <laughs> I think a little note here is after Z, we are going to take a few weeks break. Yes, we're going to still release the nocturnal novellas, like, scheduled. Yes. But we will be taking kind of a season break. I know we had been, like, coming up with different ideas of what to do when we got to the end of the alphabet, but... Yeah, I think we're going to take a break for a week, for a few weeks. Yeah. And then... Make sure that we can get a whole new season ready to go for you guys. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to start up back in middle of September. Yeah, I think we'll try our best to release an exact date next week. And honestly, follow us on our social medias. That's where you'll get the best information Yes, for when we will be re-releasing a new segment. New season? New season, new segment, eh. Doesn't matter. Yeah, a new rendition of the alphabet. (laughs) Starting from A again. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, sorry, what is your why? So, this week, I am pairing why with youth murderers. Buckle up. Even though I've covered some very dark and uncomfortable subjects, this one just hits different. Because it's kids killing people? Yes. That's fair. Yep. So, like, I do not have kids and i've watched so many horror movies where the kid is the evil one it's just like what mm-hmm. do you mean you need a glass of water <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm gonna be honest with you with my very young child when she waltzes in in the middle of the night and i wake up to her just creepily fucking staring at me <laughs> it takes every ounce of i don't even know what to call it self-control yes not to just punt her across the room (laughs) i think my favorite story is when you told me about the time she had broke out of her room and was just scratching at your door and you were like i don't know if i want her in bed or not i don't know what is the better option (laughs) i think the problem comes is there's so many of these at this point (laughs) where like even when my nieces stay with me they come in and they just sit at the end of the bed and stare at you. <laughs> and then, yeah, Waverly comes up and she, like, scratches at the door like a freaking crazy person. <laughs> oh, sometimes you just forget them and you're just like, oh, no. <laughs> this, yes, this is a thing. Yeah. Okay. 
Oh, no. Sorry, my small rant of having toddlers that can open doors. <laughs> the doors, I tell you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, just, like, to clarify, I'm talking about youth murderers. I'm not talking about, like, school shootings or any sort of, like, other youth spree killer. I just want to get that out of the way. Like, please do not ask me questions. I have not done research on that. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. Good. I just... I know you. I just wanted to preemptively warn you not to ask me. Okay. <laughs> so let's get to it. Is there segments in here that are going to make me ask about school shooters? No, there oh. isn't. It's just like, so when I was doing my research, a lot of stuff was coming out about youth shooters or like school shootings because a lot of times it is committed by other children. Yeah. Right? So I just wanted to... Because that is so prevalent in some countries, I just wanted to get it out of the way. I will be covering that at some point in the future, just not this episode. Okay. That's its own category of horrifying. Yeah. (laughs) There was a paper published titled The Epidemiology of Homicide Perpetration by Children, published in 2017. In it, the researchers looked at cases of murders in which a child between the ages of 0 to 14 was considered the main suspect. Okay. After ruling out suicide and accidental firearm deaths, there were some interesting findings. The study looked at cases reported by the National Violent Death Reporting System between the years of 2005 and 2012 in the United States which included reports from 16 of the states. Okay. Within these parameters of research, it was found that in an eight-year time span, there was 146 incidents and 151 deaths between those 16 states. Which, like, in an eight-year time span, it's not like it's a wildly commonly occurring occurrence. (laughs) Okay, so over eight years, a hundred, a hundred and fifty-one deaths. So about two a year, or twenty a year, in sixteen states. In sixteen states. Okay, 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 okay. And this was sorry, the dog's panting was mildly distracting. This was youth. So those were under the ages of fourteen, uh, being suspects for murder. So like they didn't look at. If anybody was legally charged or they were just considered the main suspects. Okay. The researchers figured that with these numbers in mind, so that would equate to on average 74 deaths committed by children each year in the United States. Holy shit. They also found that these crimes were committed by boys 88% of the time. And the majority of the time, so 79%, they were between the ages of 13 and 14. Okay, so right when their brain is having that adolescent to puberty switch. Yeah, as soon as, pretty much as soon as they hit that puberty stage, all the hormones kind of okay. get out there. And then you got to think, too, I mean, boys are raised, like, they have different outlets, right? They have different... The uh, whole, it's not okay to cry. Yes, exactly. They, they're they not taught to feel emotions. They're supposed to deal with them in different ways. Yep. And that can have very tragic effects. Outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So firearms were used in 61% of the occurrences. Okay, hold up. We got to just take a hard pass there. Um, How the absolute fuck is a 13-year-old acquiring a gun? We got to think that in most of those times, it's probably a gun that is already in the home that is maybe not being kept legally. Let's not forget this is the U.S., and I'm not as familiar with their gun laws. However, in Canada, there is a lot more strict laws about how your gun is legally supposed to be stored. As a 26-year-old woman, I could not, for the life of me, acquire a gun if I wanted to right now. You couldn't, but if there was already a gun in your home by a legal owner, you could. I could, but there's also very strict gun housing well, yes. here, too. So, because, before you cut me off, handguns were used two-thirds of the time. Handguns are fairly easy to use. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of times if you get into single-action guns, like a bolt-action gun, a child might not know exactly how to operate that whereas when you get into semi-automatic or automatic weapons you just have to pull a trigger once it's loaded yeah so they're very easy to use and if they're not being housed properly if they're not being locked up if there is easy access to ammunition you've got to think too we're talking about children do you understand how hard it is to stab someone or strangle someone children do not have the physical strength to pull that off a gun is a lot easier if your primary objective is to kill. I I have so many issues with that statement. So I am a legal gun owner. I am fully supportive of legal gun owner rights. But like I said, you've got to be responsible with how you're storing them, how you're keeping them. And the laws are the bare minimum. If you have children in your house, you should keep that in mind. And like the course I taught was in because you do have to take a course in Canada they mentioned you've got to think ethically if you have children in your house are they do they have access to them so it's back to that and then you've got to teach them that this is a tool it is not a toy so I think there's kind of a like there's a my issue is coming with the registered or non-registered owner of that gun like I'm sorry, but you cannot tell me that there is no warning signs that your child is going to kill somebody. Like, even if you are in denial, there are still signs. I get where you're coming from. And you just... I'm having issues just with the fact that these parents, guardians, family members, whoever, are just leaving guns around children without fully thinking of the whole spectrum of what could possibly happen so i do i really do agree with you but i think there's also been a shift in family dynamics where you know parents want to spend more time with themselves and they want children to spend their time in their rooms playing their video games they want them out of sight they want them out of mind they want them out of trouble But they also don't want to do hands-on parenting. Yeah, 100%. So when you take that into account, it's unfortunate, but they might be oblivious. It might not even be denial. 
You know what I mean? It could they be just might like, not even know. My child does good in school. He picks up his socks. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a normal kid. Yeah. Where inside there is something else going on that isn't being addressed. Yeah. So. I think it just like it's mind boggling to me that children can just get their hands on God. Given that we live in Canada where it's a lot more strict yeah. than the United States. Well, in some parts of Canada, you take rural... Handguns specifically. Handguns specifically, it is very difficult to get your hands on one legally. So, <laughs> But also, you being a handgun owner, mm-hmm. there is laws in place mm-hmm. for housing, storing, transporting, and mm-hmm. using. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, yeah. I couldn't just waltz into your house and take your handgun and call it a day. No, you could not. Right. And as a responsible gun owner, you would not let me. No, I would not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there would be more questions if I showed up and I was like, at least I need your handgun. But yeah, let's we, be honest here. L- yeah, <laughs> There'd no. There'd be some follow-up questions. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I think I'm also coming from that very, like, sheltered position. Yes, yeah, and, like, yeah, and you know what, so, sorry if you're not interested, or, like, if you're anti-gun, I don't really care, like, I am fully supportive, so I'm gonna say my piece, but I think that most people should be taught gun safety, they should know how to handle a gun for safety purposes. Everyone should know gun safety. They should know it, like, you don't have to be comfortable, like, you don't have to advocate for them in people's homes but you should know how to be around a gun you should know to see if it's loaded or not you should know how to know if it is safe or not i think it is responsible for people to know how to be safe around guns and honestly like like i said they're a tool if you are a legal gun owner and you keep them safe all the power to you but i totally agree with you that like i think in the world that we live in where yeah you go out to your uncle's farm and he has Let's be honest here. Ten fucking shotguns chilling on that wall. Yeah. Like, it is very important to know. Just like it's important to know internet safety. It's important mm-hmm. to know road safety. It How to handle a knife when you're cooking in the kitchen. You know, there's skills that you should just know how to be safe around. You know how to be safe around a fire. You should know how to be safe around a firearm. Mm-hmm. No, so, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Okay. That's... I will get off my... Your high horse with your guns? Well, not high <laughs> horse. I'll get off my uh, soapbox. <laughs> I'll get off my corner. No, that's totally fair. Okay. I think if we're talking about children and guns, it's important to actually talk about the safety of yes owning and registering and housing them. Yes. So, I, I wasn't planning on bringing that up. But, but I went on a small rampage about did. children and guns, so here you we are. Did. Okay. <laughs> so... So in the paper, there was found to be five common instances for child perpetrators, which are a juvenile is left to be the caretaker for an infant. So typically in these cases, firearms were not used. These are instances with smothering or bludgeoning. But you think like you leave a child who does not have the mental faculties to deal with a screaming kid with a screaming infant. It's distressing, but it's easy to see why that would happen. Mm-hmm. So a child killing their parents or family members, impulsive shooting during play in which the friend is generally the victim, 
a robbery gone bad, or a group assault in which a group of youths are fighting and the other group is also youths. So just gang fights, essentially. A Psychology Today article looked into possible reasoning for why children might kill other children. The reasons listed included payback or revenge, prowess and malice, or the desire to know what killing feels like. Ooh. Which, I don't like that. It's really unnerving, but children don't necessarily understand the permanence of death or, like, take into account all of the outcomes, like what happens, Mm -hmm. how it affects other people, what the implications are. Mm -hmm. Personal dislike, personal gain or greed, and a delusion emulation. So in this case, the offender might know, might not be able to differentiate between fantasy and reality. In many cases where the offender where the child offender targets a parent or adult, it is generally out of perceived self-preservation. So either these are real case examples of abuse or neglect, or there is a child reacting because they've been disciplined. So the case I found that best exemplified that was the case of Rose. Daniel... Petrick, who okay. shot both of his parents after his father confiscated confiscated Halo 3, a video game. There was other issues, but that was the trigger. Holy shit. Yep. Okay. So since we are Canadian, I just wanted to touch on the Youth Criminal Justice Act. This is the Canadian federal law that is applicable to 12 to 17-year-olds who have committed a crime. These laws acknowledge that while a youth should be held accountable for a crime, these young people do not have the maturity or life experience that adults should have and therefore should not be punished to the same degree as adults. Also, rehabilitation is the primary objective or like outcome. Well, yeah, we don't want to be sending 12-year-olds for like three life sentences, right? In Canada as well, there are laws that protect the youth's privacy, yes. so their names are not allowed to be released into the media. So even with these measures in place, if a youth commits a crime that is considered extremely serious, there is a possibility that the offender could be charged as an adult, facing sentencing such as mandatory minimal penalties as well as up to life in prison. Okay. Children charged facing adult crimes in Canada are not sent to adult prison until they are the age of majority. Yeah. Which we'll get to. I don't know if you have an answer for this, but if you go to prison when you are 12, mm-hmm. would it be juvenile? Yeah. Okay. Do you still have to finish your education? I believe that there is still, like, classes in juvenile hall there's also i believe education classes in different prisons and institutions yes but in prison they're an option i don't believe they are an option in juvenile in okay juvie. i don't know for sure though so don't quote me but i'm would think that that's part of the rehabilitation that they want these 
kids to get their best foot forward. Yeah. So completing their education, taking counseling, you know, if there's addictions in place, seeking counseling for that. Okay. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be covering the case of Josh Phillips. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of this one. It's not ringing a bell. It's dark. Yes. You say that now. You're going to be disgusted with me by the end of this. I always am. (laughs) But here we are. Okay. So Joshua Earl Patrick Phillips was born March 17th, 1984 in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I just want to say his name is, one of his middle names is Patrick and he was born on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. So I don't know if that was on purpose. I just thought that was fun. That is fun. <laughs> he was born to Steve and Melissa Phillips. And while the family was intact, mother and son lived in fear of Steve's violent tendencies. Ooh. Steve Phillips had both drug and alcohol ab- abuse issues and would also impose strict rules on his son getting mad if there was any of his son's friends at his home. Despite living in a tumultuous... Can we just back up a minute? Okay. Their son has drug and alcohol problems. Not their son, the father. Oh, the father has drug and alcohol problems. Yes. Steve is the father. Okay, never mind. Okay. Yeah. No, Josh, Josh was born in 1984, and we'll get to it, but, like, it's sad. Um, so despite Josh living in a tumultuous household, he had two older half-brothers that he did spend a lot of time with in Allentown. Daniel and Benji Phillips brought their younger half-brother around and did everything with him. Since Daniel was 11 years older than Josh, he, Josh looked up to Daniel, like, as a positive influence that he lacked in his home life. hmm So the brothers would listen to music, watch movies, they'd go to concerts, skip together. All this to say that even though young Josh Phillips might not be able to, like, really keep friends around his house, you know, he wasn't necessarily alone. Like, he had a positive male role model. Okay. He wasn't secluded. Okay. No, like, he had he had an outlet. He had something, like, a figure to look up to. Well, and I think it also helps because the, were they half-brothers on his dad's side? Yes. So they also knew what he was dealing with. Yeah. Okay. So, like, really good influence. But because both of Josh's parents were computer science specialists, and then the father, Steve Phillips, he made the decision to move the entire family to Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. At the time of the move, Josh was 13 years old, so he was just entering his teenage years, and he was also forced to move away from these brothers that he was so close to. Oh, the brothers weren't coming. No, they lived with their... Well, I think they were older, right? So one of them had moved out and the other might have lived with mom. Okay. This was a rough transition for Josh to be moved away from his closest friends and attempt to settle down in a new city. Josh maintained a C average in school, but, like, the teachers weren't concerned about him. 
They described him as fun and silly, like, he pretty much got along with everyone. He was fairly, just, he was just kind of fun. He was an exciting presence to have around. Mm-hmm. The new neighbors said that Josh was quiet and friendly. Although primarily keeping to himself, Josh did spend time outdoors walking the family dog and would spend time playing softball with other neighborhood kids. So, which once again, it's not like he was a complete shut-in. Mm-hmm. When he wasn't outside, it was reported by one source that he would spend a lot of time looking at porn, which... He's 13 years old. What that's thir- what they do. Yeah, that's... If it's out there, they're gonna see it. Yeah. <laughs> he was friendly with the neighborhood kids and would play different sports with them, including Maddie Clifton. Maddie, whose full name was Madeline Ray Clifton, was born June 17th, 1990, and she lived her entire life in Jacksonville. She was known to be a bit of a tomboy and be tough as nails, playing sports just as easily as taking dance class. She took piano lessons and she lived her life in a cul-de-sac and was encouraged by her parents to play outside. And since the neighborhood was super safe, it's not like they were really concerned, you know, go out, play, just keep within a certain distance of the home, you're Mm -hmm. fine. Kind of sounds like what our parents did. Oh, yeah. You come home when the lights turn on. Yeah. <laughs> on November 3rd, 1998, the now eight-year-old girl went to play with her friends in their neighborhood, which in this case included 45-year-old Larry Grisham. Okay. I see your face, but we'll get to it. I'm <laughs> not here for that. I know you're not. But, like, I think it's important, too. I mean, we do talk about a lot of very scary situations, and we talk about a lot of dark people, but not every older person that wants to hang out with a child is a bad person. I think it's really important to discuss that, and this is a good opportunity to do that. Okay. Okay, I will sit tight. Okay. So Grisham had invited Maddie to punt golf footballs with him that afternoon. He was known to hang out with the neighborhood kids and just be really friendly with them. I'm just more thinking, is he like the old neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He he lives close by. Like, all the kids kind of hung out with him. He just, you know, maybe he didn't have kids in his life, but just wanted to, you know, keep that childhood energy alive. It's... We do talk about a lot of dark things. Okay, but he did live in the neighborhood. He did live in the neighborhood. Okay. Yeah, he was okay. a neighbor. Okay. I thought I said that. Maybe you might have. Okay. I, I was just hung up on the 45-year-old. Oh, I said I had said uh, friends in the neighborhood. So that would make him a neighborhood friend. Okay. <laughs> so, yes. Christian had invited Maddie to punt golf balls with him that afternoon. When they ran out of golf balls, Maddie allegedly went back home to ask her mom where if they had any more golf balls. When her mom told her no, Maddie left the house. This would be the last time that her mother ever saw her alive. Okay, I'm just going to say this. Bad segue. I know. Bad I know. segue. I know. 
There's no good segue. But I'm just saying, like, it's okay to be 45 hanging out with eight-year-olds as long as it's not a malicious thing. But, like, she's hanging out with a 45-year-old and then she goes missing. Bad segue. Let's remember what the topic of this <laughs> case is. <laughs> we're not talking about 45-year-old murderers. We're talking about youth murderers. So I think we can safely rule Larry Grisham out today. Okay. Just today. Just today. <laughs> Okay, so that evening around 6.30 p.m., Maddie's mother, Sheila, called her daughters inside for dinner. Jessica, Maddie's older sister, came inside right away. But when asked where her younger sister was, Jessica did not know. And she had thought that Maddie was already home, or maybe she was playing at another kid's house. Maddie was not allowed to go out to other people's houses without telling her parents but since it was a safe neighborhood, parents figured that they would just knock on doors on, in the area and just, like, find their daughter, tell her to come home. Like, what are you doing with your life? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, her parents went door to door of their two-street neighborhood, and they called out their daughter's name. They hoped that she would turn up. Soon other members of the neighborhood's joined the search for the eight-year-old girl and police were called to when she was reported missing oh no police started to question people who had last seen maddie clifton including larry grisham so the 45 year old was known to hang out with the neighborhood children and since he had a criminal record he was questioned extensively his criminal record was that he had a dui oh okay (laughs) okay DUIs do not really, like, they're bad. Don't do them. Yeah, don't drink and drive, but that does not mean you kill the child. Yeah. It's okay. That's that's a hard leap. Yes. Grisham told police that he had hit golf balls with Maddie that afternoon of the 3rd, but that she had left to go get more balls and had not returned, so he had thought that her parents had told her to stay home. Mm Mm-hmm. Police had no other leads, so they questioned Grisham 20 times, and they also searched his home nine times. I feel like that shows really well for him, though. Well, yes, but you would have thought, like, it's just they had no other leads. He was... He was an easy target. He was, and that's another fault in our justice system, where people that are considered easy offenders like Mm -hmm. we could make you look like an offender you fit the prime candidate like even you when i brought up that he was a 45 year old (laughs) man were was very concerned yeah so it's really easy to see how people can get put in those hundred percent yep so meanwhile the young girl's parents were getting frantic and many people volunteered to search for young maddie within two days Thousands of people had come to the neighborhood of Lakewood. People were combing through the wooded areas and swamps searching for her. Volunteers passed out flyers, hopeful that someone might know something, and they also offered a $100,000 reward for any information that could lead to the discovery of Maddie. Wow, okay. The Phillips family, including Josh, joined in on the search for Maddie Clifton. So a week had passed since the young girl's disappearance. 
Melissa Phillips, who had asked her son Josh to keep his room clean, had entered the now 14-year-old boy's room because there was a horrible smell coming from it. I have heard this story. Probably. I, I, you might have. I didn't know it in depth until I did this research, and I'm glad I did, but it also is kind of... Yep. Yep. Please continue. (laughs) Since Josh had left for school that day, Melissa, who was fed up with Josh refusing to keep his room cleaned, entered the room armed with garbage bags in hopes to clean up whatever it was that threatened to stink up the entire house. (laughs) You know, as a mom, I can straight up see her just, like, angrily walking up those stairs to his bedroom. Just, like, rubber gloves on, garbage bags, this motherfucker. Right? Just swearing the whole way there, being like, you motherfucker, you are making my house fucking stink. What the fuck? Like, I could just hear it now. When we're done, when I'm done with this and you get home from school, you're going to put all these garbage bags away and organize them. Right? Yeah, Yeah, I I definitely was that 14-year-old that had their room put into a garbage bags. So, like, I get it, Josh. Your room can be messy, but what you did is an excuse. Josh done fucked up. He should have cleaned his room. Well, there was... We'll get to it, but there's nothing he could have done to hide that. But if his room was clean, his mom would have never, um, like, we could be like, oh, yeah, there's a smell, but, like, his room is clean. Where's the smell coming from? Maybe it's in the roof. Well, it was November 10th, and when Josh's mom started to clean up around his bed, she noticed a wet spot on the corner of the floor. A wet spot. A wet spot. She suspected that his waterbed might have sprung a leak, and that was the cause for the putrid smell. You know what? Fair. Okay. Like, you don't know what's in there, what kind of moisture it's leaking out. So I can understand why that's what she would have thought. Yeah. But when Melissa Phillips lifted the corner of her son's mattress, she saw a horrific sight. She saw a human foot with, like, a white sock on it. <gasps> Putting the mattress back down as to not disturb any evidence, Melissa left the house and made her way back to the police detachment to call off the search for the missing girl. Maddie Clifton had never left the neighborhood and she had been hidden under a waterbed by a 14-year-old boy. Holy fuck. So Joshua Phillips was arrested that day while at school and was brought in for questioning. He pled guilty to the murder of Maddie Clifton within hours of his arrest. So here is his version of events. Cool. Josh claims that the afternoon of November 3rd, 1998, he had been at home when Maddie knocked on the door of the house and asked if Josh would come outside and play with her. So Josh's father had forbade him from playing with the other kids while they were not at home. And he also did not like when Josh played with girls, especially those younger than him. Okay. Josh thought that it would be okay if they played in his yard as his strict father wouldn't know that Maddie was there since he would make sure that she left before he got home. Mm-hmm. 
The kids were playing baseball in the yard when allegedly Josh threw a baseball hard and hit Maddie in the eye. Okay. The eight-year-old girl started screaming and crying in pain. Josh, who claims that he was afraid of having to face his father, who had already told the 14-year-old that he was too old to play with her, he was just scared of the repercussions of his father. Mm -hmm. This is an abusive man who has substance abuse issues. Like, he was afraid of his father. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to deal with the repercussions. Well, with the girl screaming and the fear building inside of him, Josh dragged the crying girl up to his room to silence her. Once in his room, Josh bludgeoned Maddie with a baseball bat and strangled her until she was unconscious. In order to hide what he had done, Josh broke a board of his bed frame and hid her in a gap under the waterbed. So it it was like a, it was a waterbed and then a uh, a box spring mm-hmm. and then there was a kind of a space in between the mm-hmm. two and that's where he hit her. So when Steve returned home from work, Josh made an appearance for his father. He spent the evening with his family before returning to his room later that night. He heard moaning coming from under his bed and he discovered that young Maddie was still alive when he he had first attempted to hide her. She was just unconscious at that point. Oh my god. So lifting up his mattress, Josh grabbed a multi-purpose Leatherman tool and cut Maddie's throat, as well as stabbed her in the chest several times before hiding the now bleeding girl back under the mattress. I'd like to point out she wasn't dead at that point. Oh my god. Holy fuck. Ew. He then taped the board he had broken with electrical tape and proceeded to act like the past events never took place. Perhaps it was denial, but Josh was quoted saying, I was putting myself in a fantasy world that nothing had happened. It was my defense mechanism for everything when I was a kid. I never made the decision to ignore it. I just did. Mm-hmm. Self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So during the week of searching, Josh's room was searched. It was examined by police three times, according to an All That's Interesting article I found. And police attributed the smell coming from his room as the result of teenagers ke- keeping birds in his room. Teenagers keeping birds in his room. Yeah, he had like three pet birds, <clears throat> and they're like, mm, smells bad, but it's definitely coming from the birds. Okay. Regardless, the girl had been found, and charges were laid upon the 14-year-old boy. After his confession, police charged Josh Phillips with first-degree murder. With the crime being in Florida, he was safe from the death penalty as he was under the age of 16. Which I just want to take a second and point out that what the fuck a 16-year-old can be put to death in Florida. Jesus. Just like, that seems like a lot. Mm-hmm. That, that seems like a lot. I don't know. Just, wow. Yeah, that's, that's a little insane. 
He was, however, a 14 year old tried as an adult, and he faced life in prison. Life, like life, life, or 25 like, years? This is in Florida, so life means life. Oh, my God. Due to the publicity of the case, the trial was moved to Polk County. January 13, 1999, the results of Maddie's autopsy were made public. It was confirmed that she had died from multiple blunt force injuries to her head and suffered from multiple skull fractures. It was noted that the stab wound to her neck most likely contributed to her death. It is noted that there was no sign of sexual injury. Okay. So let's get to the trial. Starting July 6th, Josh Phillips' lawyer had a strange method for the teenager's defense. So he chose not to call any witnesses or even put the boy on stand for himself. Instead, for two days, the prosecution ripped apart Phillips' version of events, claiming that the murder was sexually motivated. It was alleged by prosecution that Josh was infatuated with Maddie's older sister, Jessica, who, when questioned, said that he would talk about sex with both the 11-year-old and her younger sister. It was also called into question um, the evidence that Maddie's body was discovered undressed from the waist down. Josh had claimed that the girl's shorts and underwear had come off as he dragged the girl from outside. There was no evidence of dirt or soil found on any of the clothing or on the girl that would corroborate this claim. There was also no injury found of the original baseball hit on Maddie's eye or any blood found outside, which is what it was supposed to have caused this panicked reaction from Josh. Mm-hmm. So... There's a lot of holes in his story. The prosecution's job is to make there be reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. And they succeed it. Mm-hmm. So there was a single piece of evidence in Josh's defense. However, the judge ruled it as inadmissible. After undergoing a brain scan, as it was recommended by a neurologist, it was found that Josh had lesions on his frontal lobes. Due to the location of these lesions, it was believed that it could cause impairment to his judgment or induce panic when highly stressed. Instead of building a strong defense for his client, his lawyer argued that the murder was, quote, an act that began as an accident and deteriorated through panic and bor- through panic that bordered on madness, end quote. Sounds like he needed a different lawyer. That's what it sounded like too, to me. Okay. So, so in all, the jury took two hours before sentencing the now 15-year-old boy to life in prison. Now, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think that even though this was absolutely a horrific crime, two families lost their children. Yeah. Since his imprisonment, Josh was not offered any rehabilitation and from a 2004 interview did not, did not know exactly why he chose to kill Maddie. Hmm. 
After his sentencing, when Josh was 15 years old, he was sent to live in an adult population prison. Jesus. So that was Marion Correctional Facility in Lowell, Florida. Holy shit. His mother regularly visited him and Josh did complete his high school education while there. And like, at prison, they do give their inmates jobs. So I think one of his jobs I read in 2004 was, um, you know, giving advice to other prisoners, like other legal advice to prisoners. Hmm. So, like, I mean, it's not like he was a bad inmate. Like, he was a good inmate. Mm-hmm. He also claimed that he wasn't abused while in prison. Okay. So that okay. could be a claim. We don't know for sure, but... It's really sad that, you know, this boy grew up with an abusive father to the point of, like, he would rather kill someone than deal with the repercussions of pissing his dad off. Mm-hmm. And nobody blinks an eye at that? No. Like, if somebody had maybe stepped in a year or two earlier, Maddie would still be here. He would still be here. Mm-hmm. There, maybe dad would have been able to pull his shit together. Mm-hmm. That's really sad. It's incredibly sad. And instead of, you know, trying to provide him help, trying to give him resources, let's lock him up in adult prison for the rest of his life. Yep. His life hasn't even started, but let's just throw away the key. Yeah. That's fucking gross. Don't get me wrong, his actions were also fucking gross. Absolutely. And... It's not to take anything away from the death of Maddie. Absolutely not. But these cases with juveniles are a lot more complicated, I think. Just because, you know what? There's always a chance that, you know, he could have gotten some counseling. He could have gotten therapy. Maybe there's an underlying mental illness that he needs help with. Why don't we research those lacerations to his brain a little deeper? Yeah see what else there could be no like you're just giving up on a life you're throwing away like you said you're throwing away a key on a 15 year old that hasn't even started his life well and by the sounds of it up until that point he was an average kid Mm -hmm. i i don't know i don't agree with any of it no so in 2017 josh phillips was granted an appeal in court, focusing primarily on his sentence. At the time, he was 33 years old, and he had spent 18 years in prison. Holy shit. A few years before, Florida had passed a new law that had set a sentencing range of 40 years to life for juveniles convicted of murder with a sentence review hearings required after 25 years. Okay. So Josh argued that receiving a life sentence was a cruel and unusual punishment that violated the Constitution. He argued that he had since proven himself to be neither incorrigible, irredeemable, or irreparably corrupt. Mm -hmm. Even with these arguments, he was resentenced to life in prison by a judge who said that due to the heinous nature of his crime, 
the sentence was fitting. Oh, shit. The judge also acknowledged that there was a possibility of rehabilitation and maturing, so said that Josh Phillips would be eligible for review in 25 years, and that was based on his original sentencing in 1999, so the review will take place in 2024. Hmm, okay. So, that is the very complicated case of Josh Phillips, and... Maddie Clifton. But I just... That's so sad. It is so sad all around. But, like, if his story of events is true, and he was so afraid of dealing with his father that he would kill a girl and then try to hide her under his bed and then sleep on top of that... Like, there was no planning there. Like, none. No. None. Absolutely none. And I think what we're also failing to think about is, like, she's eight. He hit her in the face with a softball. Well, that's his story. Like I said, the there was no physical evidence of bruising or bleeding. Yeah. But just because you're hit with a ball doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. I agree. But it might not bruise. Like... Waverly bashed me in the face with her head a week ago and like my entire face felt like I had a black eye and it was totally fine. Right? Mm-hmm. It just hurt. <laughs> so it just she's eight. Of course she's gonna have a little bit of an overreaction and start crying and Yeah. I'm twenty six and still feel that way sometimes. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I of course, you have to take it with a grain of salt. You have to. Because her life was still taken. But that is just such a shitty thing to f- throw away a life. Throw away two lives. Yeah. Like. Ugh. I don't know. Like I said. I'm not here for it. Either way. Like. And I think another really complicated thing with these cases, too, is if these youth offenders aren't punished. Like, to the full extent of the law, you get public outcry because, well, they're a murderer, but they're a child. They do not have the skills or knowledge or experience. They are, sorry, like, this is a personal opinion, but I fully believe that all children are little psychopaths just because they are not taught empathy. Until you learn it, like, you don't understand. Well, and... If his dad is abusive, do you think he's learned empathy from anybody? No, he's learned fear. He learned how to react to fear and try to hide and live in denial. Self-preservation. Holy fuck. That's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a good case and worth talking about. It is. It is. Wow. That one, like, just sits a little differently. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not mortified. In, like, he wore her as a skin suit mortified, but I'm, like, disappointed. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed about the entire situation. Yeah. <sighs> All right, what is your why? My why today is for Yorktown Memorial Hospital. Oh, I like how your why matches. Yes, it's not a stretch. <laughs> 
So today we are covering the Yorktown Memorial Hospital, located between San Antonio and the Gulf Coast sits Yorktown, Texas, and the hospital. The town was established when a road was built connecting the then Texas Gulf Coast seaport, Indianola, and New Brothels. Brothels. Bronfels. Okay. This road became known as the Old Indianola Trail. These days, Yorktown is a peaceful community centered around a high school, football, and church. However, there is one place in Yorktown that is anything but peaceful. Oh, yes. Please tell me about it. The abandoned Yorktown Memorial Hospital, which is said to be overrun with the spirits of the thousands who have died in the hospital. Thousands? Oh, no. So, some history on the hospital. A religious group called the Felician Sisters were women who worked alongside the Roman Catholic Church in 1855. I really love that. I love a Felician that I don't know why. I just, I love an all-women cult. That just sounds nice. They worked alongside the Roman Catholic Church, though. I mean... I like how they're their own branch, though. They're their own branch. Maybe if they didn't have that connection, I would like them a little bit more. I just also really like their name. Yes. <laughs> These women were inspired by the lives of St. Francis of Assisi, St. Clair, St. Felix of Cantaltic, Cantalic, and Blessed Mary Angela to help those in need through obedient and consistent service and care. Okay. During the 1950s, during the Korean War, the idea of building a hospital in Yorktown stemmed from the lack of one in the immediate area, the closest hospital being in San Antonio, Texas. No, I did not Google how far they are apart. That's fine. The money used came from fundraisers, donations, and grants from companies such as the Ford Motor Company. Okay. Built in 1951 and was run by the Felician Sisters of the Roman Catholic Church. The memorial part of the title was meant to memorize the many men in the area who had fought in World War II. Okay. It consists of 30,000 square feet of space, and this space includes a chapel, a kitchen, a main floor, a basement, and living space on the second floor for the nuns. Okay. The hospital operated successfully for many years, the nearby Nordheim, Texas newspaper lists a total of 600 deaths in the six-year period. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Quite a large amount for the size of the hospital and the area. Mm-hmm. The hospital closed in 1986 after a bigger hospital opened in nearby Cuero, Texas. After the hospital closed, it was turned into a drug rehabilitation facility which was eventually shut down by the state in 1991 for their inability to control their patients. Oh, no. Oh, yes. That's not what you <clears throat> want to hear. No. One patient walked across the street to the feed store and slapped an employee in the face. Excuse me? He just teeled across the street. And just went and slapped the person working at the register. Across the face. That poor guy probably makes minimum wage and is just like, you know, this is. Fuck this. Yeah. I do not get paid enough for this. (laughs) Oh no. Uh, Yeah. So while it was a rehab center, a double murder took place in the basement. Oh no. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> One female employee was involved with not only a co-worker, but also a patient. Oh. The patient survived the encounter. Uh-oh. Saying he was in the basement when the female worker... Oh, he was in the basement with the female worker when the other male co-worker discovered them and stabbed her to death. Okay. Then the patient claimed to have wrestled the knife away from the male worker and stabbed him in self-defense. Thus, a double murder. Oh, wow. Another man, TJ, died of a drug overdose when his friends dropped his lifeless body off at the emergency entrance up to the facility. (laughs) They rang the emergency buzzer and drove off. It is believed that TJ's spirit still roams the hospital as a large, very black shadow is seen walking through the basement constantly. He is not a malicious spirit, according to ghost hunters. In fact, he particularly likes the ladies and has even been known to offer up a pinch or two to unsuspecting visitors. You know, I really enjoy how they're like, he's not dangerous. He's just going to give you a pinch. Sir, I don't care if you're friendly with the ladies. Don't pinch me. Please don't. Right? I also don't I don't know where he's pinching them. Oh, I would assume the butt. Okay. Wild assumption, but I'm going to make it. I think I'd almost prefer the butt to like one of my cheeks. Ooh yeah. Like one of those. I don't know. That's just me. That's true. <laughs> I'm here for it. But like can we talk about the bigger issue here that his friends just threw his lifeless body out of the car and drove away? They're like, this is a rehab clinic, you'll be fine. What fucking assholes. We're good. We're just acquaintances. (laughs) Yeah. So the hospital had more than 2,000 reported deaths. Fuck. That's a lot of deaths. Even for a hospital. Yeah. With rumors of malpractice and obscene behavior have led to stories of spirits and hauntings. The building still looks like it did in in the 1950s. And blood splatter still covers the basement walls. From, from the murder. murder? Yes. Oh my god. Visitors claim it's one of the creepiest places they've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Little has been removed from the building. And every like everyone just up and left. I'm surprised that stuff wasn't taken out by, you know, people coming to see. Well, it's private property, right? Yeah, but still, like, you can't tell me that teenagers don't sneak on there. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Okay. Um, Youths committing crimes. (laughs) You will still see fully decorated patients' rooms, complete with their actual beds and bedding, squeaky old rocking chairs, and the kitchen is still a vibrant green color. Ew. Yeah. You can tell it was the 50s. Yeah. (laughs) It's not just the restless spirits, but the overall sense that time has stopped here. Oh, that is so creepy. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read the books, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children? I never read them, but I have heard of them. Did you watch the movie? No. Oh, that's the vibes I'm getting from it. So, now because of the hospital's location, it was difficult to attract doctors. But they did have one doctor at the hospital. Dr. Leon... Nowerski. He practiced well into his 90s. That's, you know what, if I'm going to have a doctor, he better be 90s years old. Like, you know what, you you stick with that plan. No, 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 I just, like, 
Why? Why are you 90 years old? You don't have anything better to do with your time than just, like, than just continue to be a doctor? Like, retire. We'll get there. No. I have my own theories. Oh. Okay. Interesting. So, he worked, he practiced well into his 90s, and when he retired, he held the oldest medical license in the state. He was also notorious for making mistakes. Once, even slitting a patient's throat during a thyroid procedure. What? And nobody was like, you know, maybe we should take this guy's, this old man's medical license away. Are you starting to see my theories as to why he practiced so late in life? I don't know about why they let him. Fair. Well, it was hard to get doctors. So maybe they're like, eh. One or two accidents a year? I don't know. Okay. He died shortly after being forced to retire. It is believed he haunts the hospital. Mainly the ER slash OR hallway, which is also near the doctor's lounge. After retiring, one doctor swore he saw Dr. Nuerski walking by the lounge door late at night. Mm -hmm. There are also rumors about the hospital having a mental ward at one point, and rumors of a tuberculosis outbreak with a quarantine room on the second floor. That would fit with the time, I feel. Mm -hmm. The nuns did live on site, and each spent their lives working to serve others in the hospital. So the nuns lived on site, they worked on site, they did not really leave. Nope. Okay. Many believe there's at least one spirit of one of the Felician Felician sisters still going about her business in the hospital, as photographs have captured a woman in a black dress wearing what looks to be a nun garment. Okay. Like a like a habit? Yes. Yeah. And like the black cloak. Yeah, the robe. Yes. Yeah. There's a Gown. spirit. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> There's a spirit in the second floor apartment that does not like women or men with tattoos. Oh, no. Paranormal investigators have heard growling inside the chapel when you read from the Bible. Oh. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. Shadows are prevalent in every part of the hospital, but mainly from just inside the four-way where the hallways meet looking down to the ER rooms and down the other side to labor and delivery. Shadows are seen in the basement as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they've been known to charge at you. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The basement is extremely dangerous. People have been scratched. They've had things thrown at them. And one woman even suffered a seizure. I don't like that. I don't like that either. I do not like that. Yeah. This hospital is incredibly active. And voices, EVPs... Are of intelligent nature, carrying on full conversations with you. That's probably why Ghost Adventures chose to feature this hospital and name it the EVP Hospital. The ghosts are not shy here. That's actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's full conver- That's really weird. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, you gotta think the energy, though. I mean, 100%. And... Was it conversations from the same spirit, or was it multiple spirits giving different answers? I think it was 
the first and the second. Okay. Like they had multiple spirits giving you full conversations. Okay, I see. Cool. That's wild. Yeah. According to the caretaker that is directly responsible for overseeing the basic care and maintenance of the hospital, there are many unexplained occurrences that have taken place and continue to take place that indicate the spirits must roam the corridors and various rooms of the building. The caretaker that has reported on the apparent hauntings of the hospital is named Mike Hansen. He quoted two reporters at one point, I know for a fact there's a lot of ghosts here. When explaining the experiences that he has had in the structure, he mentioned the fact that he had seen many black objects. When describing the size of these objects, he compares them to an adult German shepherd. Oh. Mm-hmm. He also expressed the fact that he observed a full-body apparition that was a male standing in front of the section of the hospital known as the chapel. Mm-hmm. In addition to observing these things, one of the most frightening recollections that he has is personally observing red glowing eyes on more than one occasion. I really don't like that. Yeah. Not a fan. I didn't think he would be. Oh, no. Uh -uh. He also described the events that occur near the nurse's station. If the lights are on in this area, everything seems to be calm. And he seems to be alone. However, if he turns the lights off, he has observed many individuals walking around. There are many that appear to be normal and could possibly be described as guests there. There are many that look as if they are patients that belong in a hospital. So yeah, you turn the lights off and there's people. So personally, I would be like, you know what? My utility bill is worth it. Let's invest in solar. Let's just leave the lights on 24-7. Yeah. I, no, I don't. Hard pass. Nuh-uh. So additionally, a staircase is kept closed off in the front of the building by a door with a pane of glass. Okay. So there's the pane of glass blocking the doorway. No, think of like going into my laundry room. The pane of ga- glass, like in the door, it's a door oh, with a pane glass. of glass. Okay, okay, I was, ex- <clears throat> I, I was more picturing like, like the doorway was completely blocked off by the pane of glass. But okay, I guess what you're saying. Yeah. Each evening, it is said that it sounds as if there is tapping on the glass. Hey, this my friend. She she got out. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Visitors report talking dolls in the maternity ward. Oh, nope. Singing choirs in the chapel. No. And red glowing eyes in the darkness. Okay, we know how I feel about that. Recordings of disembodied voices and the sounds of wheelchairs creaking down the narrow corridors have also been recorded. Have there, like, been videotapes of these wheelchairs moving, or is it just the sound? The sound. I don't like that. Would you feel better if the wheelchair was moving? You know what? I could justify it being like, maybe there was a breeze. Maybe, maybe just something. I don't know. You know what? I think I would feel better just sounds. I feel like if something has enough energy to move an inanimate object, I'm the fuck out. No thank you. Hard pass. Maybe it was built on a slope. 
husband is rolling down the slope. You know what? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. The Yorktown Memorial Hospital is located on private property and trespassing is strictly prohibited. However, the building is available for use in film and for guided paranormal tours in overnight stays. There is an, an investigation that has come up with no evidence. That, Everybody leaves with something. That is really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, if we were to ever start investigating paranormal places, we'd have to do this one first. That way we're like, got our confidence. Yeah. Now we know what the bar is. Yeah. Yeah, so the hospital has been featured on Ghost Adventures, Destination Fear, and many other paranormal investigators. This hospital has been labeled in the top five haunted places in Texas. Just in Texas, though, that's interesting. Not like the entire United States. I think it was varying. Whereas, like, I had seen some reports of it being in the top ten of the United States, but then... I'd seen a lot where it was top five in Texas, and I was like, you know what? I see more of top five in Texas than I do top ten. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. You know, like, just bringing that up now, but it'd be really interesting, like, to see in the world what the top five most haunted locations are in the world. Yeah. That would be cool. That would just be fun. It would be. (laughs) So, I got all my information from the Russell, Russell Rush Haunted Tour, hauntedplacestogo.com, onlyinyourstate.com, texashillcountry.com, and good old Wikipedia. Love a good old Wikipedia. Same. And that is the story of Yorktown Memorial Hospital. That is super creepy. It was good. I, it was really good. Mm-hmm. That was super cool. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Why do they always have red glowing eyes? Why is it never like blue or green? I don't know. I think yellow would be really creepy though. I think yellow would be just as creepy. It's red, yeah. And maybe even blue. I think green or purple would be like a good color to glow. What about like white glowing eyes? No. No? Because then it would just look like a... um. What is the thing from Game of Thrones? Oh, the White Walker. Yeah. I thought that they had blue eyes, though, didn't they? I thought the leaders had blue eyes. Oh, maybe. I don't know. It's been many years. It's been a while. I haven't watched it since the finale because I was so disappointed. (laughs) Hot take. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, I'm not a fan of... You know what? Your eyes just shouldn't glow. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. I also feel like talking dolls and singing choirs also shouldn't be a thing. If there isn't people there to sing, there should be no songs. I agree. <laughs> but here we are. I don't know talking dolls. So, with the talking dolls, it wasn't like dolls speaking. It was like, sorry, I'm just picturing, like, you know how dolls like have the pre-programmed... It wasn't the pre-programmed that I know of. Oh, no. Because I could, like, you know, justify it with my logic brain. Be like, well, if you step funny, maybe they triggered, like, the button to set the doll off to speak. But no. I don't think so. Don't like that. That's creepy. It's pretty great. (laughs) I'm here for it. Oh. I want to do it. And you're going to do it with me. (laughs) No choice. I, I 
heard that in your voice. Oh, no. <laughs> no options. I don't make you talk to murderers. Jeez. But I would. Okay, well, thank you for that. I appreciate <laughs> that. I would probably, like, not be the friendliest, because, you know, they're murderers. Oh, but... Courtney, you would have your customer service voice on. Oh, let's be honest here, I would. <laughs> I can't talk to a stranger without the customer service no, voice coming out. they would be like, that is the friendliest person I've ever met, and secretly inside you'd be like, Oh, no. I hate oh, everyone. No. What the fuck have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Damn it, Elise! <laughs> I know that customer service voice has got me in a lot of trouble. Sure has, but yeah, I know you. That's the first thing that would pop out. It's like, hey, how are you? <laughs> how can I help you today? Yeah. So you're here for murder. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, no, we can't. We can't do that. We need to re replan that. I'll, I'll visit the haunted places first. Thanks. Okay. Much appreciated. I feel like there's less chances for interactions. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get an unsolicited pen pal if, yeah. from a ghost. We can only hope we'll do some cleansing rituals before and after. This is true. Yeah. I like it. Okay. It's a plan. <laughs> Well, that wraps us up for why. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Yes, thank you so much. And please make sure to leave us a review. It will really help us get more traction to our podcast. Yes, um, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you could, re- if you could leave a review. Um, also, you know what? If your friends like spooky stories or listening about true crime, like. Spread the word. <laughs> we want to keep this thing going, so the more people out there that want to listen to us, that would be just, we would be over the moon. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to See Is For Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns or suggestions, please email us at C for creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.